What's up, everybody? It's your host, Travis McKenzie, and this is a special edition of the Inner Voice podcast. Over the last three weeks, I've had the pleasure of working with the team at iCore Labs to host engaging conversations with interesting people from all over the world. Given that we are all currently at home, iCore had a plan to bring together inspiring folks from their community in what was dubbed as the Connected Project. These conversations have been recorded via live stream, and for me, it's been an amazing opportunity to make new connections with fascinating people, each with their own unique journey and story to tell. I always leave the discussions feeling motivated and fulfilled, and I hope that you'll feel that way too after listening. Today's episode is with Thad Beattie and Annie Clements, husband and wife rock star duo who met, fell in love, and continue to play alongside each other in the award-winning group Sugarland. This is a wide-ranging dialogue about their impending parenthood, the day-to-day lives of working musicians, and how they stay creative in the midst of a global pandemic. I also share with that our parallel journey to racing Ironman Arizona in 2012. The similarities are pretty epic. There's plenty of great lessons and thoughts that come out of this one. As always, thank you to John and the team at iCore Labs for their support of the podcast and for the opportunity to host these important conversations. If you'd like to view the video version of these conversations, I'll add the link in the show notes. Also, as a special thanks, iCore currently has 25% off all of their products on their website. Check out iCoreLabs.com for more details. For now, here's Thad and Annie. Oh, it's live. Yeah, it's live. It's happening. It says We're live. live. It's happening. It's not the Country Music Awards, the VMAs, or MTV Music Awards, um, but we might have that happen later in the day. Uh, I am honored to have Thad and Annie, a.k.a. Clem Beatty, join us from Franklin, Tennessee. Some dear friends or newish friends that have become very dear in the last year and a half, thanks to an introduction from a mutual friend, Ivan O'Gorman, based here in Boulder. Um, and then also through a small world connection, Jamie Mesher over at iCore, who does a lot of our content with me. She's worked with them in the past at Two Times You, and uh, super stoked to have you two on as you're quarantined in Tennessee uh, and joining us with Travis McKenzie. So, uh, howdy! Yeah, thanks for having us. So I wanted to start uh, with with the realization that you needed a theme song. Yeah, all podcasts yeah. or live streams have to start with some kind of a... So we worked on this. Uh, she hasn't heard it yet, but she'll sing it. It goes like this. i Podcast. i Podcast? That's right. <laughs> i Podcast. Yeah. You finish yeah. it with i Podcast. i wow. Podcast. i yeah. Live Stream. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, live stream. Yeah. Sorry, dang it! No, it's all the same because we we do have the ability to download this when it's Ooh. done, and we can take just the audio, which Travis has been compiling and putting on his project called Inner Voice, which he's had for the last couple of years. Oh, that's awesome! So, nice. Yeah. Well, thanks for having us. We'll work with that. Well, that's it. We can go. That's we're done. We got all. We yeah, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> let me let me let me call Greg Irwin, and then he can get on drums. Really, yeah, at the same yeah. Hotel. And yep. then great. Need to connect you guys anyway. Yeah. That would be wonderful. But, yes. Um, so without further ado, I don't want to. Uh, my mom said I have a voice made for radio, not for TV. So well, that's a face for whatever. It's, I don't even know what day it is. But 
No yes. one knows. No, I know. But as Andy Pruitt would always say, the purpose of these is to have it be like someone's eavesdropping in on a conversation. And, you know, that's what we want these to turn into be. So we've got a couple of questions that, you know, we're not going to throw anyone under a bus. You know, we'll talk about what it's like to be quarantined while expecting and how you're going to make do with baby showers and life in general and, you know, tours being put on hold and how excited you are to travel with the baby and all that other fun stuff. So um, with that, I will leave it to Travis and yourself. I will chime in occasionally with consumer or viewer questions. They could be consumers. They could not be consumers, but they're friends and we're all in this together. So enjoy. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, John. Uh, A terrible introduction as always. No, just kidding. It was, uh, (laughs) he did his best. That's good. Um, Fanny, welcome. Thank you. How are doing? Pretty good. Uh, yeah, you know, just a lot of the same. <laughs> we've been we've been quarantined for over a month now. Uh, being being pregnant, expecting, uh, and I'm at I'm at thirty weeks this week. So we've what, been. What? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm pregnant. Big news. Congrats. Oh um, wow! Here's the dad. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, we we took this very seriously from the very beginning. Yeah. Um and you know, immediately uh we any kind of lingering gigs and things that we did have, you know, we had to sort of work with everyone to get some of that stuff off the books and transition that had to transition a lot of his athletes out of gathering together. Um, I think there were just, there were a lot of, a lot of folks that it's just hard to accept something like this. And we were sort of in a unique position with the baby on the way to just like, okay, whatever's happening, we're, we're in, we're on board. Uh, so we, my mom also is a cancer survivor and she lives right around the corner here in Tennessee. And so we realized we had a responsibility to take care of her in that way as well. So it was, it was something that as a family, we just said, well, shut her on down. And, and uh, here we are. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've done the same here. We're about five weeks into our self-isolation and we have a three-month-old. So, you know, the wow. first you know, little while has been, uh, you know, finding that new normal for our family. We've got a, a three-year-old as well. So my wife's on maternity leave and she hasn't had much of a maternity leave because she's, you know, taking care of a toddler and I'm trying to work. Mm-hmm. We're just finding that new normal. Um, one thing that I thought of Annie for you is obviously as you go through pregnancy there's a lot of checkups there's a lot of check-ins with your with your doctors how have you managed those given that you're not in person tell me about that experience that that has been uh definitely a challenge that you know I never expected when I when we got pregnant back in October you know didn't anticipate ever having to be told that oh sorry you know Thad can't come with you to appointments anymore yeah um and now, you know, I, my last appointment was almost a month ago, uh, like about maybe two and a half, three weeks ago. And so he wasn't allowed to come with me when I showed up at the doctor's office, you know, they were taking everyone's temperature before you were even allowed to enter. The parking garage is, uh, overflow now. You can't like park emergency. there anymore. Yep. Um, yeah. And so, uh, it was, it was really sad. It yeah. was, I have to admit, I, I, uh, I cried a little bit because he's been with me I mean, he's been incredible. He's been with me to every appointment. 
uh, every ultrasound. And of course, you know, with all of this, you kind of have to, you try to view it through the lens of, well, I have it so much better than so many people. And that's, and that's very true. You know, we, and there's plenty of people who live their lives where they have spouses who are, you know, maybe deployed or, or have a, yeah. a sort of a job or a line of work that per- they don't get to go to any appointments ever. So, um, but it is, you know, it's a, it's a new and different experience and also having to navigate with my healthcare providers, like, okay, well, can I have him on FaceTime or can I have him on the phone? Like, what are the rules about that? And so things are changing. Policies are changing constantly. Um, a big thing that is very important to me to share is that uh, a few weeks ago in New York City, a lot of hospitals had barred spouses from going to the labor and delivery room with yeah. a woman yeah. giving birth. So women were giving birth, you know, alone. I mean, obviously there's a doctor there, there's a nurse there, but that to me, I mean, that that's insane. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, I get it. I mean, I, luckily, a petition went around, and uh, Governor Cuomo said, "No, you have to have at least one person in there for the safety of the mother and safety of the child." You know, to have an advocate. Yeah. And now the next sort of side of that is that what happens if you have to have a C-section? You have to go mm-hmm. to a different part of the hospital. They're not letting spouses go to that or to the, the postpartum portion of it. So there's just a lot yeah. of new stresses that nobody had ever anticipated. Um, but I've been signing a lot of petitions and yeah. you know, just trying to stay aware of it. I've been told by my doctors here in Tennessee that they don't foresee that being a problem. And I know that a lot of... Um, labor and delivery units and just doctors dedicated to working with moms and babies have are sort of separate from a lot of what's going on, but there's so little information at this point about pregnancy and COVID and Mm -hmm. newborns and all that stuff that, you know, it just creates a whole different uh, layer. And I think the, the, the interesting thing is every day, each of us realize another layer that is impacted and it might be something that's, that's, you know, 10 steps removed from where we are that you don't think about. So for Mm -hmm. us in the music industry, it's not just, it's not just the musicians and the fans, it's the, Mm -hmm. the crew guys and the truck drivers and and the lighting companies and the audio companies. And at venues, you're dealing with the amount of staff that are there, not just the guys that are even selling uh, t-shirts and hot dogs, but you're, you're also dealing with the security staff parking and it just keeps going on each layer, how they're all impacted. And it's different too than, than our, our, I think our program response is, is to think about something like Katrina where there's an isolated uh, place where everybody else can then lend support and kind of flow Mm -hmm. things in. But none of us are, none of us are immune right now. And, 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 and so that, that, that kind of changes the way that we think about crisis and the way that we think about, helping and the way that we think about charity and the way that we think about those organizations and, and how we how we let those survive, especially with the arts right now. And I think historically the arts have been have been a glue for people uh, through times of crisis. 
yep. thing, thing that has held people together, you know, whether it's a time of mourning or a time of celebration, the arts have been there, whether it's dancing or, or song or uh, any, any number of things, we've been an escape. And, and so those opportunities are not there. And I think fortunately, we're realizing how powerful those are and, and it inspires us in the next phase to, to realize that we want to make certain things important. We want to t- take certain certain approaches and certain things to make sure that that it's not just the the things that, that are low-hanging fruit, you know, personal protective equipment, things like that. But there's a wave of support that we probably can can shore up. Yeah. Really well said. And I um Annie, back to your point, we've got friends who are due this month in New York City and they were going through that and talking to my wife about those whole experiences. And then we thought about our experiences. The, our first baby um, was born in Vancouver in Canada and it was a separate children's hospital and Can- Canadian healthcare is very different to the US. And then we had our son here in, in Boston and my wife had to have a C-section and that whole, the difference between the two experiences and having thinking about her having to go through that alone was mm-hmm. mind-blowing because you do need advocates, you need support, you need someone there that you're close to, all of those things that you can think through. Uh, so, like, I'm glad that they've made those changes. Um, and I also feel for people who are about to go through it or have experienced some of those restrictions. The, a follow-up question to that before I, I comment on what you mentioned, Thad, was does the current climate and the current circumstances, how does that make you feel about bringing a baby into the world? Obviously, it's a very different place to when you first, you know, thought you were pregnant. Like, what is that for you right now? Uh, I mean, it's... It's interesting. I mean, I'm of two minds about it. The on the one hand, I'm absolutely gutted and devastated by not knowing when I'm going to be able to introduce her to her grandparents or our friends and family. Uh, you know, there's I know just from guidelines they're giving people they want at least six to eight weeks post birth at this point. Uh, you know, this week for before introducing a child to other family members, just for the, the child's own safety. Yeah. Um, that part of it is. is um, and then there's, you know, this other piece of it, which is uh, such a heightened appreciation for all the people in my life that I do love and, and care for so much and having this time with Thad to just hunker down yeah. and, uh, and get to be together and really having, having something to look forward to, like the birth of, of the child has, has really provided a lot of, you know, light at the end of this tunnel and a lot of strength and encouragement and given us a real focus. Um, during this time, which I'm, I'm really thankful for. And I feel like as a family, our family is, is stronger and more connected and more in tune with each other than ever before. And having conversations about things that really matter. Uh, we've been reading a lot of books together every night. Thad reads aloud to me a few chapters from, you know, our various collection of parenting (laughs) books. Um, From all at the window. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but and the baby starts kicking as soon as she hears him start awesome. reading it. But there's a lot of random reading as well. It's not just the parents. Yeah. It's all kinds of crazy fun stuff. All kinds of stuff. But um, yeah. you know, so it, it is kind of this double-edged sword where 
um, yeah, there's some really incredible blessings and then some just yeah. real, real it's, sad spots. It's definitely been something that we talked about. Obviously we're, uh, we're not the spring chickens. Like a lot of our friends have kids that, that are going to college next year and we're having our first child. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we understand that uh, the, the, the college fund for our kid will be uh, called social security. <laughs> so uh, I, I think it's, but it, it's really, really fascinating. Some of the things that have come to light when you when you think about some of the, 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 the people throughout history, we keep reminding ourselves that what we're experiencing now is normal throughout history. I mean, yeah. Since the dawn of man, we've had things like that. And, and we're just fortunate and blessed that we've not had World, World War II or Spanish flu or the yeah. Antonine plague, you know, from, you know, the turn of the, uh, the AC, uh, uh, BC times. And, and, and you, you kind of, uh, uh, a lot of things have been popping up that I haven't really gotten until now. So mm-hmm. just the thought of this thought of memento mori or uh, remembering death every day, uh, which is kind of a bizarre, sick thing. And you don't, don't really, uh, but it reminds you to remember life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the whole thing is you think, okay, today could be the last day ever. Mm-hmm. How would I want today to be? Mm-hmm. And so that's basically what we've done. And so we've trend, we're trying every day to transition from, okay, we've been so focused from a quantitative standpoint of how many years will we have? How long will life go? We're not really concerned about what happens during it to this transition, mm-hmm. transition to qualitative. Let's have the most beautiful life we possibly can ha- have regardless of the duration. And that starts during this, this stream right now, because yeah. what we can do is have a good time. And if this is the end, at least we uh, put it all out here for this. And it's, you know, it's yeah. a, it's a, I don't know. It's been, it's been pretty cool to kind of take, take some of those things and reframe it. We, one of the parenting books that we read is uh, the Danish way of parenting. Right. And so it's pretty freaking awesome. Now we want to be, uh, we want to learn. Yeah, yeah. Learn Scandinavian. Pretty and, bad. So this idea of Huga. <laughs> yeah. We're obsessed with Huga. Huga. So, the family cozy time and how important that is and, and really just reframing as well, just taking the times that happen and, and, and reframing. And I've always yeah. had this notion that if Travis, if I were to give you your favorite pie um, that I had baked for you personally, uh, and it was going to be my address, by the way, so you can send it. Perfect. Yeah. So, so when this pie shows up, it's going to be missing one piece. Right. You know? And then you're going to look at it and you're not going to think that is awesome he sent me my favorite pie you're gonna think what the what is the rest of it this mofo stole a piece of my pie and that's gonna be your first thought and so now your whole reality is not focused on the 95 percent that's awesome it's on the five percent that i took Mm. and how weird that was yeah so your entire idea of me will be focused on only five percent of the reality and so now we've been handed this amazing gift in many ways to control alt delete and yeah. uh we're yeah. trying to just do things every day that remind us of that I, beautiful I, it's really well said and i appreciate you for sharing both of you and and kind of going deep on that stuff i think i get a sense that you're both thoughtful anyway before this happens so i'm, I'm guessing this isn't new that you're kind of living oh. your life this way um and Fat, I do have some memories of you that I that I will share in, in a little while here. But I want to hear Uh-oh. the the quick and dirty version of uh, of your love story. How did you guys meet? How did you get together? Um, <laughs> you, you've got ninety seconds. Go. 
Okay, we met at work. Uh, so we were at the same audition for the band Sugarland in 2006. It's kind of funny because uh, they were looking for a bass player and for uh, another guitar player. And another bass player who was a friend of Thad's was auditioning. He was like, hey, man, you should come to this audition. And uh, his bass player buddy didn't get the gig. I got the gig. <laughs> and then Thad got the gig. And uh, it was a it was a long slow burn. It was about a year of just being friends and living every moment together on a bus and backstages. And we very slowly and cautiously dipped our toe in, in the water of like, "Hey, I like you. Do you like me?" Um, we asked for the lead singer Jennifer Nettles. We asked for her blessing. Now, this is to- she is a totally different story, as you know. <laughs> Basically, why well, I set you up like this? We <laughs> secretly dated for uh, a, a long time at work. You know, the only people that knew were us, yeah. but of course, everybody else knew. And one day, we weren't even dating for that long. We finally told them what was going on. Like, we thought you guys had been together for like six forever. Months. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, received, no. I received a summons to Jennifer's uh, dressing room. And in her in her best um, Southern drawl, she said, uh, can we use dirty words on this? Yeah, of course. Okay, so she said, look, I know what's going on. Uh, you're not going to meet anyone anywhere else. Uh, if you fuck it up, you have to deal with it, but uh, you got my blessing. And so yeah. she was the yeah. one that, that went, uh, went to it first, and there you uh, here we are. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a great story because it turns out you could have married your buddy if you uh, <laughs> get the gig. That's right. <laughs> it is, you know, when you're when you're traveling, when you're on tour, it that's just like it's your little bubble, you yeah. know. So yeah. you do find lots of people that you know kind of fall in love under those circumstances, which also makes it very challenging because you're literally, you know, living one on top of another with all these different folks, and you have to be very sensitive. And I think we did a really good job. We it was almost four years after we started dating that we got married. <laughs> Yeah, it took a long time. <laughs> anyway, um, but when we had our first dance at the our wedding, the whole band was there and Thad gave me a kiss. You know, he dipped me on the floor and gave me a kiss. And everyone in the band said, That's the first time we've ever seen you guys kiss. Wow. In like years, years of touring, <laughs> of living on a bus with these people, of eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner every meal. And we were just very, very conscientious and, and cautious of trying not to make people feel uncomfortable yeah. or anything like that. So. Yeah, very cool. Um, I had the pleasure of talking to Greg Irwin from um, St. Motel last week uh, last mm-hmm. week on the show, uh, and he talked about, you know, the, the whole rock star lifestyle, traveling on the bus, and, you know, he takes his bike and he gets his workouts in and things like that. Mm-hmm. Tell me what that's like for you guys. Like you're, you know, Thad, you've made some change in your life, which we'll, we'll touch on in a little bit, but is being active and finding new routes and training while you're on the road. Like, how do you manage that? And then Annie, for you, how do you manage supporting him and your own pursuits as well? You know, during those times when you're out on the road. Yeah. uh, I mean, he's the expert on that. I've, it helps when everyone in a band is kind of like-minded and, you know, supports each other and let's have healthy choices for the food that we get after the show. And, um, you know, if people want to get like physical activity games going, like on the Marin tour, there's a lot of kickball type of things happening and uh, pro Kadima paddle ball and stuff like that. I, I like to, I like to have fun activities that encourage me to like work with a partner. We yep. brought yoga teachers out. Our good friend, Rachel Beauregard came out and taught yoga on Marin's tour for like a whole tour. It was incredible. Um, 
he he's the guy who can get on his bike and go explore a new town and, and do all that stuff. I mean, when we started touring, you, you carried um, a Rand McNally map and a, a Ziploc bag full of quarters so you could stop at the payphone. You know, yep. you didn't have a cell phone or like I remember when pagers happened and I thought, man, this is like mind blowing. Yeah, this is insane. Yeah, and so you would leave friends at gas stations for hours upon end until you realize that they're missing. <laughs> and so to, to 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 transition and now realize that you can get on an app and you can go to to something like All Trails and, and just find and it 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 kind of sparks creates your your creative spirit in many ways. So yeah. I've learned all the great parks and all the great runs. And you've, you know, anytime like growing up, I remember getting like runner's world magazine and they talk about rave runs at some yeah. beautiful place. And I think I'm never going to be in so-and-so. Yeah. And so now we've been able to do that, uh, travel around. And that's, that's what, that's what living is. I think it's really easy on tour just to take the mindset of this is what it is and you get stuck. And that's why so many people struggle with substance abuse, addiction, depression, and all the things that, that you wouldn't really think because it's Groundhog's Day. You know, yeah. you're waking up and it's like, I don't want to use another fucking, sorry. I don't want to use another locker room, you know, 20 person shower. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Or you could, so you could focus on that or you can just go, this is pretty awesome. And it took a while to transition to get to that point, but it's throw the bike under the bay of the bus. And, yeah. and some days you can make it work. Some days you can't. We played the motorcycle rally in Sturgis, which is like, a hundred thousand Harley dudes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm using my uh, athletic arrogance, which says, you know what? You're going to get out there on your bike with your spandex on and you're going to go and ride <laughs> while they're riding their Harleys. And I literally made it about six feet from the bus and said, no, I'm cool. No, I'm good. I'm, today. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, so I set up my <laughs> trainer on the back <laughs> lounge of the bus and, and just, uh, was Mr. Tough Guy in the back lounge. Yeah. Yeah. Just making sure no one can see you inside. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, Talk to me about that creative outlet. Like I know on stage you're you're putting on a performance, you're putting on a show, you're using your creativity, you're getting the energy from the crowd. Now that you don't have that, you're at home. How are you guys reconciling that creative energy that you need to release and get back from the audience? I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a ton of different ways. And I think what we've done, what this time has done creatively is kind of given you permission to explore because right now you don't have to offer quote a product necessarily for someone. And, and a lot of things that, you know, artists are bound by thinking about things commercially as well. And, and there's certain ways that you have to play or certain things that you need to support or, or, or do. And, and many times in the studio, if you're working on stuff in the studio, there, there are days that it can be a grind just because you are needing to do what you've done for the past, uh, what seems like year, the hmm. same type of stuff because it fits a certain format. And so now we can be home and think, you know what I really want to do is I want to, I want to dig in and just spend a day playing Motley Crue songs. He's uh, been really digging into like the music of his, his youth and the stuff that he stuff that I wasn't good enough to play when I was a little kid. Yeah. Now I can go back and like, man, he's, he's yeah, me, like I'm, I'm, I'm able to dig deep and play some rat. And, yeah. And, and also 
no one, you know, no one, uh, no one knows because I would never like live stream that I'm actually playing rad or anything like that. Wouldn't tell the world. <laughs> so there's, a, there's liberating to be able to do it. And it's, it's just a question of vulnerability. And that's where yeah. art, you know, once once you have a, uh, an environment where you can be completely vulnerable, that's mm-hmm. when kind of cool art happens anyway. Not that me sitting around shredding on guitar by myself is cool art, but having permission to do that kind of yeah. gives you a creative spark. Instead yeah. of just kind of feeling the niche. Yeah. What about I mean, you? Yeah. Well, I've been really fortunate with my, so I have a, a project called side piece and it's all of these other female side men like me, they all tour with lots of different artists. And um, we have been able to collaborate musically, even though we're all quarantined and we make these videos uh, where we each go around and we record our part and then our drummer puts everything together and, you know, and it kind of helps give us some focus and an anchor and something to work towards. Cause we were, when we were talking about side men and side women, um, you know, they're, they're a lot of, I mean, that's, that's a big backbone of the music business and, they're used to people like me are used to working constantly. <laughs> so, um, Oh, John says, I have, I have the tiger up. If you want me to show oh, it, <laughs> we, uh, we all watched tiger King and we did uh, a tribute. We played Amazing. tiger and we all, we all dressed up. <clears throat> what a show uh, that was. Did you guys, catch, before you finish, did you guys catch the after show yesterday? Have you seen no. that? Joel McHale does an after show. It's actually, and you've mentioned Motley Crue. It's perfectly timed because there's a Motley Crue reference in there. So go check it out after this. Theory, uh, like many do. There was one episode, this really, really quickly. Yeah. One episode of the What was her name? Staz? What was her name? Yeah, the girl got her she got her arm bit off. And instantly you, you see uh, Joe. Joe change and he instantly within seconds is putting a tourniquet on he's calm he's under control he's almost like he's an emt worker yeah and it's it's almost as though there was a there's a secret him that is programmed and that's kind of who he is and then everything else is this giant shell and so i was intrigued the whole time because if if someone goes into a crisis Mm -hmm. and his first reaction is to be the ultimate boy scout then that doesn't necessarily line up with the rest of the Tiger King. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Philosophical. Or the conspiracy theories like come out about all of that stuff. And I'll give you a little tip. So Saf actually identifies as a man. So mm-hmm. you learn that tomorrow's or in the in the show as well. I didn't okay. know that. I didn't realize that either. So it's um, crazy. I did. I've done some work with reality TV shows. Uh, I worked on a show called Extreme Makeover a long time ago, and it was the things that I learned. We had the same film crew that had just finished a season of The Bachelor. (sighs) And so we are learning these things and how the you have kind of good cops and bad cops and how the production staff is trying to get the grittiest, dirty stuff. And then you have someone who was in my position that's like trying to take care of the people and they, they don't let you like, I had a firm mandate to never say anything negative the whole time. Right. You're not allowed right. because the, the camera, pr- uh, the production team are digging for dirt. It's, it's pretty crazy how yeah, those things work. Yeah. yeah. We're all getting, uh, we're all getting tricked. Yes. <laughs> it's true. Way long. Um, sorry, I cut you off, Annie. You were talking about your, oh, no. 
creative outlets here with Sight. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, we're so used to, oh gosh. Here it is. <laughs> you, said digging, you said digging for dirt. So I figured, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, give it up. Let's do it. I won't okay. do the whole, I mean, I can do the whole thing. It's three minutes and change, but. It's, it's, a, it's a long, yeah, you can fast forward through it. So we've got, I'm a tiger. Thad is behind me as a zookeeper <laughs> in a Sasquatch suit. We've got our drummers, Jane as Joe Exotic. Uh, our fiddle player, Megan Mullins, is, of course, Carol Baskin. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've got Doc Antle on guitar. Uh, Nicole is. <laughs> so <laughs> we all got dressed up. If you want to skip to the end, John, I, I do my tummy reveal. We need to send the link out, John, for this. This is incredible. Yeah. yeah so the very end, uh, I painstakingly exacto knifed a tattoo. Oh, <laughs> to say, privately owned by Joe Exotic. Oh, that is brilliant. One of his husbands has tattooed. <laughs> that is brilliant. Uh, you need to get the cover up as well. That's I'm a ba- you know, having a baby. And yeah. It's gay. So it's probably not. not I think this answers truck. every question you had about creativity during this time. <laughs> yeah, you guys have it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's at their home and we have no clue what the other girls are doing. <laughs> yeah. Until we see it. <laughs> so it's definitely been a it's been a good outlet for us to uh to keep working because yeah so what we were doing i would go out on tour with Marin. i'd leave on a wednesday night and play shows with Marin on thursday friday saturday get back on sunday and go play monday tuesday night with side piece downtown so i'm working five yeah. to six nights a week and that is just normal and that's what what feels comfortable to me mm-hmm. so um it's definitely been a, a huge adjustment to just be taken out of that type of go 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 work environment um especially because i just love it so much and it, it doesn't ever really feel like work so <laughs> you get you get addicted to it you get used to doing it and uh it's it kind of what what drives you but it's um like I said, having the baby to focus on has helped me tremendously. And everyone involved in side piece, they all have really wonderful partners and spouses and, you know, everyone's leaning on each other and get together at least once a week on zoom to have a a cocktail hour. I have water, Yeah, you know, we stay engaged and we keep setting goals that we're working towards and that helps a lot, you know, yeah. so that we feel like we still have some momentum and we'll have something to come back to whenever yeah. the world comes back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's uh, it's important to note that, you know, everyone's probably ex- experienced a Zoom happy hour or they're connecting and talking to people they haven't spoken to. And I know that, you know, I'm pretty close to some of my mates, but we're texting all the time and just checking in on each other. And, you know, it's it's I think it's been great for that level of connection and making it a priority and my hope is that that continues once we do go back to whatever we go back to that that level of connection and care for each other continues to to happen we talk a lot about that too there's i went for a run the other day in our neighborhood and in which i've done gazillions of times obviously and i we've lived here for 10 years and i go out and there's about 20 kids wearing gloves socially distanced they're all apart and they've made up some kind of game that they're all playing together where they don't have to be near each other but there's some objective that they clearly they've communicated about online or texting or whatever and it was the largest group of kids in our neighborhood i've ever seen yeah Uh, i've never never i didn't even know we had that many kids here and i think there's a lot of really cool things and 
And, and, and I guess thinking through this, one of the conversations we have is there's so many things about quote normal that we don't want to return to and, uh, you know, a rush to get back to normal. Uh, I think we've been afforded a pretty cool opportunity. And, and so we're kind of thinking, let's not, obviously we're going to have a kid when, when, uh, when day breaks on this, all this stuff. But I think there's a lot of things that, that I'm kind of putting in my pocket as a talisman to be a reminder that this is, uh, uh, there's a, there's a lot of parts of this that we're being blessed to be able to learn. And I'm mindful that that becomes the new normal, I think is what you said. Yeah. I don't want to go back to not communicating with my family on a nearly daily basis. Mm -hmm. Text threads that I have with friends and, and bandmates and, uh, and just checking in and, and really having the opportunity to ask somebody like, how are you doing? How are yeah. you doing? Really? Yeah. yeah. Not just business as usual. We have to get to whatever our agenda is. Yeah. And also we've been so just mindful and, and conscious of what we've been consuming, you know, and it's, we're, we don't waste food. We don't yeah. leave lights on. we, we're finally taking all of these steps that we've everyone, you know, talks about, you got to do this, you got to do that. And it's, I mean, even, you know, toilet paper, like you get four <laughs> sheets, buddy. Like, <laughs> You're checking like, in on him, right? You're making sure he's uh, only taking four. Counting, yeah. <laughs> I've counted the whole roll in advance. I'm going to recount it after you leave that bathroom. But she it, does. Yeah, I have to, there's, a, there's a checklist in there. There's an audit. There's an audit. We were talking about art, uh, art, artistic or being creative and yeah. vulnerability. And it's interesting now because, and this is just my brain um, slowly catching up, but it, it, it it's wild because when you talk to someone and you say, how are you? No one can say, I'm great. Mm-hmm. And so the, the thing that people usually do to talk about how things are versus how they are right now, people have permission to be vulnerable and it's acceptable for the first time in my lifetime to say, um, to, to get past the petty or just the surface conversation. When you talk to someone now, the intent is to learn how they are and they are willing to share it, which is something that probably, um, uh, probably be very valuable. You know, I've worked a ton with the healthcare industry and the goal is, is to, to see how we can address uh, the behavioral health crisis that we have going on and, yeah. and, you know, uh, longevity is going down. Pe- people's, no one's getting healthier overall. Mm-hmm. And they've been diet and exercise has been the recommendation for 40, 50 years. And how's that going for us? Mm-hmm. Well, if the numbers are going the wrong way, apparently not great. And so, uh, I think maybe we're getting to a, to a point where, where hopefully the fact that you can communicate and connect and resonate with other human beings will help be, a salve for the behavioral health crisis and depression and suicide and a lot of the other things that are going on. Yeah. Hopefully we're paying attention to the people that are alone. I think often of our That's friends right. that, that live alone. And those are the ones that we, you know, we, we uh, hope to check in on yeah. enough. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well said. I, I think there's so many things that have become this, you know, the new normal. I keep saying that, but uh, that I want to take with me and, and let go of the glorification of busy and mm-hmm. let go of like always having to be on. It's okay to take a day off. I'm like, okay, let's just take a moment and pause and breathe. And like mm-hmm. the work will still be there. The whatever else will still be there. You can mm-hmm. take a minute. So um, yeah. I think we've rounded that one out. I want to tell my Ironman story and then I want to get into talking about uh, music that moves. So 
2011, I live in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I uh, break my leg. I get a pulmonary embolism in my lungs. I get up to 240 pounds. I'm sitting in a bar in Austin, Texas on a boys' trip. I watch the result of the Ironman World Championship. Pete Jacobs wins that race. I swear into my beer and say, I used to race Pete, what the fuck? Uh, And I decide in that moment that I'm going to make a change in my life. And I signed up for, I called my dad and I called my brother who live in Australia and I said, I'm signing up for Ironman Arizona in November of 2012. Will you guys sign up with me? They both immediately said yes. We do the training. Uh, Long story short, I turn up at Ironman Arizona and who happens to be one of the speakers at that event who had their own similar story of losing 70 pounds. But this fine gentleman here, to round out the story, you were wearing the exact same kit that my brother was wearing, the, the green Newton kit. Yeah. So every time I crossed on the run, I would see in the distance that I thought it was my brother and it was it was either one of you. So No way. You won't remember. I was cheering for you on the course, cheering for your brother. It was a life-changing moment for me and I think our stories kind of parallel a little bit there as well. So. No way, man. That is that's awesome. So cool. yeah, so cool. a, I don't, I don't that know. was your first Ironman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that was a big deal because I think I lost sixty pounds, so I got from two forty down to one eighty. I think you're about seventy pounds, mm-hmm. um, making that change in your life. And I've, you know, I've listened. I know Rich Roll really well, and we've, you know, I've heard you on his show, and I know a lot about your story. So it's a pleasure and an honor to be talking to you. But oh, I want to talk you. to you. I want you to have the opportunity to tell that story a little bit as well, and then obviously move into music that moves and kind of where that came from and and what that means to you. Yeah, I think you, you, I mean, you, you basically just told it. I was lived on the road for, for forever. We had, uh, you know, for 20 years or whatever, uh, we had started dating, uh, at this point in time, I'm, uh, uh, a nice, well-rounded human being. Um, yep. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I was as a guitar player, you know, you're constantly thinking about your fingers and all that stuff. And so I started having numbness in my arm, my forearms were going numb, uh, which started this kind of emotional cycle. I was having anxiety problems, panic attacks, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. I weighed two thirty, um, and then of course the way that you, the consumables, I would say, are not um, not of the the finest quality. Not making great choices. We were in a hotel room in L.A. and 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 I remember I couldn't leave the room. I was scared that walking down the street I would feel something weird and it would make me think something was wrong with me. A couple of weeks later, we were playing in Birmingham, Alabama. My mom called and and said, "Hey, I just want you to know uh, everything's going to be okay, but I've been diagnosed with colon cancer." And so you have the the shake from that. About three weeks later, our guitar tech uh, wasn't feeling well. At a run of successive shows, goes to the doctor in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and they run some tests and say, "Nope, you're not going home. You're not joining the tour. You're stage four. Uh, you're stage four lymphoma." Yeah. Uh, and then about three weeks after that, we were playing the Indianapolis State Fair, wind shear, stage collapse. Seven people lost their lives there, and so all of these things kind of converging in a very small time was a wake up call, and it was a something in it said, "Let's you need to reclaim your health." And, and so I reached out to our friends at Iron Man and said, I've "Got a great idea! I'm going to be your your um, I'm going to be your D-list celebrity <laughs> rolling up in Dakota on TV." And you know they did not respond, and I was persistent for a while. 
And they had just launched the Ironman Foundation. And finally, uh, Dave Deshane's over there um, uh, uh, connected with me. We played a show in Tampa, which is where the home base for Ironman is. And and they invited me to the office. And we were just going to, you know, brainstorm and talk, talk stuff. And, And I think Dave's big plan was we'll go to lunch. And then the Ironman headquarters is in this little cove on the water. So you can swim basically at work. So we were going to go swim and then we're going to go eat. And the swim ended up being kind of Dave's audition to see mm-hmm. if the, the, the portly gentleman from the internet that he saw could actually do anything. Yeah. And by then I'd lost all the weight. I was, I was tuned up and, and um, that's when they said, Hey, we, we want to try and let you do this, this uh, Arizona thing. Mm-hmm. So we did that. And then that rolled into the, the, Ironman working on something called Kona Inspired, which is basically a way that they curated human interest stories for a while. And we had some seven athletes that with crazy stories, two two of which passed away shortly after, one of which didn't even get to start the race. And I learned about all the causes and all the things that they were doing and and realized that that when you have uh, a pretty easy fuel and sometimes self-motivation is a a difficult thing but when when you're when your candle is burning uh on the gasoline of of something bigger than you then it's pretty easy to ignite and then so that that after that i was fortunate just to be in a ton of places and and a ton of events and every time i was there we would uh, i would i would do the certification that was the week weekend before weekend after or being on the road we have a lot of time during the day so i basically just restarted my education, got certified as a coach and, you know, swim, bike, run, the whole deal, nutrition, strength training, and just had so many people ask me, um, for their help. And, and, um, so we started doing that just kind of casually, which then kind of grew. And the more I worked with people, I think the more I realized that the ones that were truly successful did have, some kind of crazy story or a cause or something that they had committed to. And those were the ones that would go through the training and never miss a day, never, never have the first complaint versus someone else who has all the means in the world and is just doing it for a bucket list thing. They, you know, they would constantly be injured or have an excuse for why something didn't happen. And, and I, I think I just kind of uh, took all the examples of everybody and said, you know, there's this mysterious fourth discipline in, in triathlon that, that, that is, um, the, the service piece, the, yeah. the something else piece. And, and it, I called it athletic hypochondria. Basically, if you're so, uh, so focused on your performance, then you freak yourself out about everything. The tiniest little thing becomes a big thing. And there was, uh, Clem and I got asked a lot to, um, to work with nonprofits when they'd have silent auctions or if they needed tickets for a fundraiser. And so we, we became kind of a go-to helping people out with that. And one organization based out of New Jersey uh, was kind of the impetus for most of the things that I've done the past few years. And they were just a simple mom and pop family owned moving business. And they would go into people's homes and move them from this location to this location across Jersey. Yeah. And they said that that they realized that every time they moved someone, no one um, packs their canned goods. They just leave them. And so they started just 
asking people, hey, can we take your canned goods? We'll put them on the end of our truck and we'll drop them off at the uh, food bank on the way to your new location. And of course, everybody was open to that. They challenged all of their competitors in the area to do the same. So now you've got local mom and pop Jersey folks, you know, dropping off food at homeless shelters. And this is nothing. It's it's not out of their way. It's, yeah. It doesn't. They're already loading stuff up. And so basically that organization, Move for Hunger, grew. Now it's in every state. They collect millions of pounds of food every year. And they don't they don't do anything that requires days of service and gazillions of dollars. Yeah. All they simply did was identify something very tiny that they could get involved with. And do take the five minutes that it takes to do that, and they're changing the world. And so, Amazing. I was really inspired by that, and I thought, why can't we do the same thing, just using the vehicle of endurance sports and taking care of ourselves? And and yeah. and so, so now music that moves is has turned into just a large uh, kind of congregation of athletes that are realizing, hey, we want to push ourselves. We want to do the the best that we can. We want to be finely tuned athletes, but we also want to think about uh, another piece along the way. And it's not, not, not in any way to be self aggrandizing or, or anything like that. It's just like it, it, it counts a lot more personally. And also as a uh, motivation for training, a lot of days, if it's a raining outside or, or you don't feel well, or you had a long weekend, if you think I just got to do it because it's important for me to finish this because I'm raising money for X, Y, and Z, or I'm doing it in honor of somebody. Yeah. Those people were able to kind of pull through and, 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 and so I think that's the kind of the magic mojo for, for, for performance. And it, and it comes down to, uh, we talk about this as a lot as well as basically performance is, it, it, it comes down to how you feel about how you feel. If you feel like shit and then you think, man, I really feel like shit today. And that sucks. Uh, and then you talk yourself into that, then your performance will will follow. But if you say, I feel like shit today, but that makes sense because I rode 80 miles yesterday and I'm calorie deprived and it's 90 degrees outside. Yeah. Uh, this is pretty awesome. Cool. Your relationship with that is sports psyche, I guess, in a nutshell. And yeah. And so now it's it's we're it's once again, which then leads us back to Danish way of life and hygge and uh, <laughs> reframing and it's really cool no no that was great it's uh and i it's like another level of accountability for people to you talk about showing up and doing the work when you don't want to do the work it's for a bigger purpose and a bigger cause so it just adds that accountability um annie when you when I, i was watching you as as that was talking and i can see the pride that you have for the work that he's done and and the way that he's changed his life tell me what that's like for you to kind of be you know obviously you're you're providing amazing support for him but what's that like for you to see the work that he's doing and has done it's amazing uh you know and i i feel like i I have to remind him all the time about how amazing it is because he's you know he's on to the next thing or he's you know just downplaying his role and everything and but when you know we go to a race or go see you know these athletes and there's 20 30 40 people wearing music that moves kids it's a really big deal and this little idea that he had you know just for himself has touched a lot of people and changed a lot of people's lives and now it's kind of taken on its own entity and has been growing and uh it's really incredible 
Tra- no. Travis, the, the, the race in Arizona, Kevin Quigley was our guitar tech who passed away. Yeah. He was supported. Uh, he didn't have health insurance and he was supported by an organization called Music Cares, which is the Grammy Association's non nonprofit, their, their support wing. And, and they, they help musicians in times of crisis, whether that's addiction or if they lose their instruments in a hurricane. And, and the goal with that race and the way that with this all started was, hey, maybe we can just raise enough money to pay them back for taking care of Quigley. Right. And that it started there. And now uh, in Kona this past year, we worked with uh, a, an athlete who is a, a music, music manager, has been extremely successful. His life has been devoted to taking care of, of other folks and making sure their dreams come true. Mm-hmm. He's 20 years sober. Um uh 50th birthday and uh uh was the is the chairman or was the chairman for music cares and he said i just want to go and uh raise a ton of cash for these guys and so they helped him get sober and raised he raised 400 grand wow racing a uh an iron man race wow he just you know uh sends sends messages out lets people knows what know what he's doing raises 400 grand and it becomes even more real right now because you think of our industry yep and um um the people are 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 suffering right now because no shows no work and we talked earlier about the 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 effects of how that each layer of the onion is is impacted and so i think now he raced he raced a race in kona he raised all this money and now uh gazillions of musicians are able to pay their rent for a couple of months Mm -hmm. uh, during hardship Yep. Or buy, you know, formula for their kids or put diapers on or, or whatever, keep the power on because of an endurance race. Yeah. And yeah. and I just think that that it's a pretty tremendous vehicle for storytelling and for uh, impacting people and changing the world and and doing something that kind of requires you to wrestle with your scabs and the whole yeah. thing along the way. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. I I love that story. And I think that there's so much that people can learn from you and from what you're, what you stand for around, you know, this is a somewhat a selfish pursuit that we're all in and we're out there training, we're doing it for ourselves and we take a lot of benefit from it for ourselves. Um, but the impact you can have on other people is, is evident in, in the stories that you tell. So I appreciate you sharing those. And um, how can people learn more or how can they get involved if it's something that resonates with them? Yeah, I think the honestly in this season right now, I think the best thing to do is, um, you can, you, you kind of have the double win. You can take care of yourself by taking care of something else. And we all see the needs all around us. So, uh, the first thing I would say is, is just spend today and tomorrow and the next day, seeing the little things around you where you can in- impact somebody, you know, the kid, you see the story of the kid who realizes he's picking up groceries for his grandmother. Well, if he could, uh, drop off food for her, he could drop it off for other people. So I think there's needs that all of us can pay attention to. Um, uh, if somebody has uh, the thoughts, desires uh, to do a race and, and they need help pulling it off, then we have a, a, a group of coaches and, and mentors that can help someone identify that goal and get you there and partner you with the cause. If, if you 
uh, if you need to get there or if they have a wild idea that they want to support something or do something on our own. And then that's that's what we hope to do is help people figure out those things, find ways that they can take care of them and and kind of help you brainstorm on how to get there and give you support along the way. I mean, I, I think the worst thing that one of the things from a coaching perspective is, hey, we got to have all that stuff dialed in. We need to have the 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 most scientific approaches and the 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 things that are taking care of athletes because we need them to get to the finish line because their story is vital. It's not getting to the finish line just so you can finish the race. We need to we need to bookend their story so that that their cause and their purpose can uh, receive the the support. Yeah, and it, it kind of stimulates a push to the finish line in a different way. And yeah, and so the last thing we'd want to do is somebody to get hurt because of we're being boneheads as coaches and don't take care of folks. So yeah. you know, it also probably takes a lot of the pressure off them as well. They can, you know, they can trust and believe in the plan and in the process and, yeah. you know, they can take care of some of the other things that are important in their life whilst putting trust in, in the fact that you have experienced coaches who can help guide them to get to the start line healthy, which is the most important thing because the rest is a bonus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, those can just stalk us on, uh, 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 Instagram or something. Just all the yeah. Um, you would have. I don't know if you guys noticed, but my wife was uh, coming in. This is our little art room as well. So my yeah, wife, she's so doing some painting. I looked up and I thought it was. I was looking at my house. Oh, somebody in our house. <laughs> Our daughter. We we make a list every day of the things that um, my daughter wants to do, and every day she puts painting on the list. And usually she'll come out here and paint, but today she has to paint in there, and we're running out of daylight. Here, so she, oh, no. she just had to take care of that. So oh, tell her thank sweet. you. We yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, she's thank awesome. Um, now, Annie, I want to ask you, what's your most uh, proud moment you've had watching Thad race? Where where was the, the oh. ma- memorable magic moment um, if you had to narrow it down to one? Oh, man. Oh, well, Kona, when I got to see you cross the finish line at Kona, that was really amazing. So I was – out on tour, I was I had played a show and got on an airplane to Hawaii and landed in the middle of the race. And Dave Deschains, you know, I he found me and you know, we found you on the track and got, you know, she she I got to come out and be there when he crossed the finish line. They let me, you know, come out and yeah. give him a big hug and medal. Yeah, and did medal and all that stuff. Um yeah, that was that was really that was really awesome. And it was it was it was him, but it was also the whole experience of, you know, being there in Hawaii and being with Dave and getting to see all the work that Iron Man does on the island and, you know, actually seeing the faces of people who were receiving grants and and charity money and yep. you know, it was it was just a sort of a a totally overwhelming and really exciting experience. Yeah. The first time you raised Kona, that was, that was my, that was a big deal. That's beautiful. Uh, Thad, I have two questions. One, why Ironman in the beginning? I know that, you know, for me going back to Ironman was because I was, I, I raced when I was a kid. I did my first Ironman was 20. So it was a place for me to come back to that I knew I could have a positive impact and mm-hmm. change in my own life. So that was, that was the reason why I chose that. I, but I'm not clear on why Iron Man for you. It could have been anything else. Why did you choose Iron Man? Uh, it, it, uh, I grew up uh, with a handful of things that we did as rednecks in Mississippi. You, we would skateboard and played baseball. 
Yeah. And then the other thing for me ended up being playing music. And the two of those worked together pretty well until I got to high school where you kind of had to choose at that point and they, you couldn't be in the band and play baseball or you could. So I ended up, um, uh, going the music route and kind of always being still connected to, um, uh, to the sports world. And, and so in college, they let me, uh, walk on to the cross country team. It was about the only thing I could do. And I came in last for every race. And when I was in college, they invented this thing called the internet. And I was running across out of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it works now. It's pretty cool. And 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 so uh, I remember the first, first computer. And at the time um, I had uh, was on the cross country thing. So I was kind of thinking about being active and I had always wanted to do um, a triathlon. And so the first thing that I looked up on the Internet was uh, triathlon stuff. And so I, I assume it was, I mean, I don't even know, remember what it was. I don't know if Ironman had a website, but I definitely remember uh, looking up things and seeing what I could find out about Mark Allen, and Dave Scott. And it was kind of that, yep. the end of, you know, the, or the, the end of that era. And, the, and so uh, I had this very bizarre, you know, a cyberspace entry through Ironman stuff. And it just kind of like many people just kind of stuck in your mind. And once you see some of those images and things, you kind of always dream about it. And it's, yeah. You know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tucked in there with my, uh, you know, I'm going to climb Mount Everest, uh, you know, all those, those things. All those things. Yeah. And so when, when all this came up and, um, uh, I realized that we needed to do something and I was working on my health journey, it, it, I kind of hearkened back to that time and thought, this is something that I might could actually pull off. Yeah. And, uh, I enjoy these things. Yeah. Um, and it, it just kind of fell naturally um, in place there. Yeah. Very cool. Thanks for clarifying that. Uh, yeah. your, yours and my uh, first internet searches were very different then. I was a <laughs> 17 or 18 year old boy. So you could imagine maybe mm. what my searches were, but you had to do them at the library at the time. So oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, anyway, so you were, you know, uh, you were researching Plutarch or, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the physical structure of um, oxygen, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, biology, <laughs> you were definitely doing biology. Bio, a lot of biology work. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, next question, same question that I had for Annie. What was your, what's your most memorable uh, moment in an Ironman or physical activity? Uh, the, the, um, uh, this one's easier <laughs> because uh, it was, once again, I've used this term athletic arrogance where once you get in shape, you kind of think you can, you can kind of do a lot of things. You know, I think mm-hmm. we all, once you've done a handful of Ironman races, you think ah, I might not be fast, but I could pull it off, which of course is a very, 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 very bad place to be. <laughs> I'd never mountain biked in my life. Um, and I got a call from some friends of ours who run a PR firm, um, uh, Hugh and those guys, they're, uh, uh, in based in Boulder and you, you, they've worked with a ton of folks. They say, yeah, we're representing this race out in Colorado. It's in this, it's in the highest incorporated town in uh, the country. It's a place called Leadville. They do this mountain bike race called the Leadville 100. Uh, you can come play the national anthem and do some stuff for us. Uh, we'll give you a spot. Would you be interested in helping us out? I'm like, sure. It'll be cool. So literally uh, got a bike um, in Nashville uh, and, uh, they put it together, made sure it fit. And then they immediately took it apart, put it back in the box and we just shipped it to Colorado. Yep. I, I picked it up there and put it together. 
And at this point in time, I'd never, you know, I'd ridden a road bike, but, you know, riding single tracks, a totally different thing. So my pal, uh, Ryan Dolan, um, uh, from Roca said, said, I will, uh, take you for a ride and see what's going on. So before that, I thought I'll try on my own. And so I go out and I, he sent me to this trail out by the reservoir and there's not much out there anyway. So it's not much you can do. So I go out there and I crashed the first, first mountain bike ride. And so now I've got, I ended up riding it four times and then going to Leadville. Um, and there has been nothing. Uh, I, I, uh, the way that the day worked was if you finish that race under nine hours, you get this belt buckle, like the size of a Thanksgiving platter. Yeah. If you finish it under 12 hours, you get a belt buckle, but it's, you know, it's not, not as big as the other one. And, and so my arrogance goes in, I get to the halfway point, which is before this massive climb to the peak. And, uh, I didn't have any support there. I had one friend, uh, I didn't even know you're supposed to carry support. So I have this friend and I see her and I said, um, uh, I got this nine hour thing. It's no problem. And her husband was racing. She said, don't even try. <laughs> don't even try. So, uh, I, I was well on, on target at the halfway point, And then, uh, it all, um, the, you know, going four miles an hour for the next three hours or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. Uh, and my arms are falling off because I, I, I think I'm not going to be able to grab the brakes anymore because my hands are locked up. And, uh, I survived, uh, at mile 80. I thought I was going to, to die. Uh, uh it's a hundred mile race. As you get a hundred miles, you realize you still got like six months to go or something. I didn't know that part of it. <laughs> I crossed the finish line and, and, um, just began openly weeping. Like I, I had said like seven to eight minutes to go. I got the belt buckle. So I actually made it, but it was something that I never should have done. It was yeah. well, 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 well beyond my skill level or my fitness level. Um, and it, uh, it kicked my ass. So got my belt buckle. I'm so proud of it. There was a music that moves, uh, like a pizza party going on in Nashville. I flew back home. Clem picks me up. We go straight to the pizza party for the music, the moves thing. And I'm wearing my belt buckle. And a friend of mine who's a female comes in and looks at, looks down and says, that's not nearly as big as I thought it would be. <laughs> and Ouch. so. Are you uh, wearing that belt buckle all the yeah, time? Yeah, I still wear it. Yeah. Well, yeah. did you tell it was cold? Or? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's cold here. Yeah, it's cold in Nashville. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. That's, that, that's a great story. I, I think I've never heard it put athletic arrogance, but I feel like I might be suffering from it. I have an ultra marathon that I signed up for in September uh, and I'm doing a lot of sitting around and not running right now. Yeah. Well, just, just remember this phrase. It'll get you through it. Everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. She'll be, well, the Aussie version of that is she'll be right, mate. Yeah, she'll be right. She'll be right. Um, you guys are awesome. This has been an amazing conversation. I appreciate your your energy and your thoughtfulness and the stories and all of it. It's been super fun. I really, really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. It's been uh, it's been awesome. It's, mm-hmm. Thanks for uh, asking awesome questions. And I think after the you know with the Leadville thing, the the thing that I realized a long time ago, and another piece of the music that moves thing is when I did the e- extreme makeover part there was the producers called and said hey we've got a um an athlete that's on our show she weighs 340 pounds she is an african-american 
Mormon lesbian and she wants to do an Ironman in seven months. Uh, can you help? And I was like, sure. Sure. Everything and, will be fine. Yeah, everything will be fine. <laughs> exactly. Be all right. So we dive in and um, uh, uh, I learned more from her than I, I think many of the other things because I went through the whole journey with her, did the did the race with her and and it literally was something that she never thought that well, she would be able to pull off. And and she finished it. And then after that, I watched and got to be a part of her realizing that she did something she never thought she would be able to do. And it changed her as a human being. And yes, she put some weight back on and things like that. But who she is now is someone that looks back and realizes that they went through something that they had nothing but doubt in yeah. their ability to do. And uh, now she runs uh, a massive campaign based out of Atlanta. That's one of the dancer pounds off movements, um, uh, body shaming and a ton of really, really, really awesome stuff. And a lot of it's because she had the opportunity to chase after something she didn't think she'd be able to do. And yeah, that's beautiful. And, and so um I don't know. I think everybody, all of us who've done these races before should partner up with somebody that doesn't think they can do it because that medal finishing that race is one of the most powerful ones that I think I've really ever done Yeah, uh, because she changed me and changed my perception of what this sport can do to people. Yeah. And that's, so, that's amazing. You're doing great work. I appreciate it. Ah, uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Great to see you guys. Yeah, no, it's been awesome to hear some of the stories and the new stories I haven't heard of in the past. Um, really quick, Evie May, the flat yeah. family of Evie May just fell over. Okay. Um, we yeah. have to bring her up so we can remind Ivan that, you know, Evie May and the kids are being loved around the globe. Around the globe. Uh, she's here. Yep. We like that. So this has been awesome. Hopefully when everything kind of starts to slowly open up we'll be able to see you guys out here for the red rock show in september if it's yes. still going to be a go um we can see the the newborn i'm also putting money on the fact that she's going to be born a couple days early on my birthday in june just fyi ah um, okay great so i'm saying june 6th okay but, june 6th. Uh, start, a pool. Yep. start a pool no pressure no <laughs> pressure because you'll get a you'll get an early father's day dad you get to have your first Aww. one early ah. true That'd be good. Yes. Um, in closing, uh, I like to provide everyone sort of like they do on Hot Ones with not like multiple camera angles. You only get one, but you get a 20 second soapbox, which is the exact duration you should take to wash your hands to say anything you want. So I'm going to remove Travis myself. It's just you two in the spotlight for 20 seconds. Uh oh. Yeah. Don't, don't know. You get, don't be afraid. You've done a lot worse. <laughs> Okay. okay, so here we are. This is my first thought. Normal is what we keep saying we're going to go back to. But my challenge is to never go back to normal. Find the things that are awesome now, make them habits so that they become the next you, which is an evolution. Uh, we're in the midst of this biology thing. It's going to be awesome. Uh, biology wants to live. So you guys to live no more normal, only new awesomeness. How's that yeah, sound? That's great. I'm I, I'm I'm done. Okay, cool. Good. <laughs> Bye guys. Bye. Awesome.
Um, thank you again, Thad and Annie. That was awesome. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to have these conversations. Uh, it lights up my day. It gives me motivation uh, to be better, to do better. Um, as those guys said, find the new things that you love doing that are meaningful uh, to you and let's uh, let's stick with them. Um, look forward to many more of these conversations. Thanks to those guys. Thanks to John. Thanks to i Peace. Thanks, Annie, and thanks, Thad. It's always amazing to connect with such humble and thoughtful people. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Inner Voice podcast. There will be many more special edition episodes as a part of the iCore Connected Project, as well as regularly scheduled conversations as well. If you enjoyed the show, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a thumbs up on social media, and it would be great if you could recommend the show to a friend. Also, head over to iCoreLabs.com and grab 25% of all their products. That's iCoreLabs.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Travis McKenzie, and this is the Inner Voice Podcast.